This is a poem uh, by the modern poet Alice Oswald, who lives in Devon. It's called Seabird's Blessing. We are crowds of seabirds, makers of many angles, workers that unpick a web of the air's threads and tangles. Pray for us when we fight the wind one to one. Let not that shuddering strength smash the cross of the wingbone. O God, the featherer, lift us if we fall. Preserve the frenzy in our mouths, the yellow star in the eyeball. Christ, make smooth the way of a creature like a spirit up from its perverse body without weight or limit. Holy Ghost of heaven, blow us clear of the world. Give us that utmost of the air to heave on and to hold. Pray for us, this weird, bare place. We are screaming. O sky, count us not as nothing. O sea, count us not as nothing. Jacob. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. Jacob is, as you will remember, the third of the patriarchs of Israel. Grandson of Abraham. Abraham, the father of the nations. Abraham had two sons. Uh, the firstborn was Ishmael, born to his wife's slave girl. And his second son, Isaac, born to his true wife out of a promise that was made to him. So Abraham is the father, the first of the patriarchs. His second son, Isaac, is the second patriarch. Isaac himself had two sons, twins, Esau and Jacob. But they switched roles because Esau got hungry one day and sold his birthright to his marginally younger brother, Jacob. So Jacob became the third patriarch next in line. Isaac has said to his son Jacob, I want you to go and get a wife, but you're not to get a wife from anywhere around here. You've got to go back to your mother's brother and choose one of his daughters. In other words, one of your first cousins. And that was a long journey. So Jacob sets off on this journey to find a wife from his uncle's family. And off he goes on this journey into the wilderness. And he's in the wilderness. And as he's wandering through the wilderness, it gets dark. Genesis reads like this. Jacob came to a certain place and he stayed there for the night because the sun had set. 
taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There's something about this place that we're meant to understand. This place is the wilderness. It's dark and he's alone. It's a terrifying place. And he takes a stone and places it under his head and then has this extraordinary dream in which the God of his grandfather and the God of his father comes to him and echoes the same promise that God has made to both his grandfather and his father and now makes to him. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread out to the west, the east, the north, and the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And Jacob wakes up and he calls this place Beth-el. Beth-el means House of God. Beth is house. Beth, Lehem, house of bread. El is God. El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. Hallelujah, praise God. So Bethel is this place in the wilderness where Jacob slept one night and had a dream that God was in the dark and in the wilderness, and that all the world would be blessed through him. But what is this place that he's talking about? Well, in Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul basically unpacks the entire gospel. And here we are in chapter 8, which is right at the centre of the letter. Paul, like Hebrews before him, writes in what's called a chiastic structure. A chiasm is an X, and everything runs towards the centre and then runs down from the centre. And right in the centre, we have chapter 8, which is where we are here. So then, brothers and sisters, says Paul, we are debtors not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh, but to live by the Spirit. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery, you received a spirit to call God Father, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But he goes on to say this, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. What glory? What's the glory right at the center of Paul's letter to the Romans, the heart of the gospel? What is the glory that's waiting to be revealed? Here it comes. 
for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For creation was subject to futility in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole of creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves. So when we come back to the question of Jacob's dream, Beth El, what is this house of God? Well, here's the answer. Beth El, the house of God, the promise fulfilled to Jacob in Jesus, is the whole of creation. It means that every blade of grass you walk on, every tree you touch, every meal you eat, is endowed with God's presence because this is the house of God. And it longs for the promise of God to be revealed. That's also one of the paradoxes of Paul's writing. You have been saved, he says, but you hope for salvation. How can you have been in the past and yet hope? Because, of course, as Paul says, you only hope for what you don't yet see. It hasn't arrived here yet. No, we're in the wilderness. We started on our journey, that's baptism, that's Christ's death on the cross, that's the passing through the Red Sea, that's Jacob setting out from his home. We're in the wilderness on our way to the promised land, the redemption of creation. But God's promised that he will never leave us, that he will be with us in the darkness, in the wilderness. How? Through his spirit. So God's spirit guides you, guides us. Just like the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud guided the people of Israel through the wilderness to keep them safe. But that spirit is the spirit that allows you, encourages you, permits you, requires you to say of God, my Father. The word used here, Abba, Father, is the Aramaic word that little children use to call their fathers. What do you call, what did you call your father? Papa? Daddy? Father? Whatever intimate word you used to refer to your father, that's what the Spirit, that's what Jesus is telling you to call your God. Now, if you've had a father that's been violent or abusive, angry or manipulative, 
God knows there are fathers among us like that. Then you need to set that aside. Because this father is nothing like that. This father protects. This father cares. This father cradles, holds you, watches over you. This father encourages. This father liberates. This father stands beneath, behind, before, but utterly sets you free. This father loves you. And this is the father that we worship. In the parable of the tares in the gospel reading, we have one of a multiple of these parables that Jesus speaks about seeds. We've just had the parable of the seed of the sower, sowing the good seed on the ground, some of it falling among the stones, the thistles and all the rest of it. Here we are, seed being sown, and the tares are growing up. In the next parable after this, we've got the seed being the mustard seed. And all of these have in common growing. Growing is about waiting. It's about becoming something new. And that's where we are in the we have been saved, we will see the revealing of God's glory. You are called to grow. So learn to call God Father in the intimacy of your own prayers, as you read the Bible, as you pray for those around you, as you look at the world. Father, and grow to become the children he's called you to be. Amen.